Father God, I ask that you would just calm our spirits. Help us to put away what's going on this week, uh, what's going on at work, what's going on at home. Uh, Whatever stressors or anxieties we have, let's come together tonight and just focus on your word. This book is beautiful. Thank you for giving this to us. Help us to dig in, understand it a little bit better, and really get a grasp of what your love looks like. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the desire to come together and study your word. Be with us, have your spirit upon us, and help us come away knowing you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we were in the book of Judges. We finished the book of Judges, and it ends with a very depressing line, the book of Judges does. In fact, I'll read it. The last verse of the book of Judges says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, which led to all sorts of problems, them taking in pagan practices from their neighbors. They consistently were not following God, would get taken over by a neighboring country, put under their rule, oppressed by their leaders, heavily taxed, enslaved, caught up in their practices. Um, Once they finally got sick of it, they would repent, turn back to God, um, and then God would bring a deliverer, and that was the judges. I only bring this up because the book of Ruth starts out by saying, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land because the book of Ruth takes place during the time of the judges. Now, we're not actually sure during which time. Some people think it happens around chapter 10 of Judges, maybe. We don't really know who wrote the book of Ruth. Jewish tradition says it was probably Samuel. Some of that makes sense because this takes place before there was a king. And since Samuel was the one who anointed David as king, the end of the book of Ruth points out the lineage of King David. So Samuel would have had firsthand knowledge of that. Some of that makes sense. But really, this book connects the beginning from the end. It unlocks a lot of what we need to understand in Scripture. And so I'm excited for us to sort of dig in, figure out, get principles from it, and then see how it connects the whole story. And I'm also excited that because this is a short book, I can do it in the style I prefer to work, verse by verse. So that's what we're going to do. Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days of the judges, when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab Moab, and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So it's the time of the judges. This must be during the time of one of the judgments on Israel where God is disciplining Israel during their rebellion because there's a famine in the land. And it says that this guy, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Chilion, take off for Moab. And they're from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Now that's significant because Bethlehem is the city through which the Messiah should be born. Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Ephrathah is a specific region that Bethlehem's located in. So the Micah 5.2, the prophecy that states where the Messiah would come from, now we're seeing some lineage of Jesus here and his birthplace is mentioned. So that's important. And then let's look at the names. So as you know, and we've talked about this through our studies before, 
Biblical names mean something. Now, usually when you were born in these days, you were given a name either based on your parents' hope for what you would become or something related to what happened at your birth. So, for instance, Elimelech's name means my God is king. It's a great name. Elimelech was born at least from parents who had hope for him to really follow God because they named him my God is king. Naomi's name means uh, pleasant or pleasantness. And then they had two sons, and their two sons have great names if you like laughing at people. So Malon means, means sickly. So who knows what happened at his birth? He was the firstborn. Maybe he just, maybe Elimelech was disgusted from what birth looks like. But he named his son sickly. And then the next son, Chilion, was named pining uh, or crying. So he named his sons are named sickly and crying. So not great names. That's what they have to carry around their whole life. So that's their names. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, verse 5, died. And she was left with her two sons. They've left the land. They left the land of Moab. And from Bethlehem, you can actually look out across the Dead Sea and see Moab. And Moab, there's like a plateau where you can see some of the lush area that exists. So there's a famine in the land. Elimelech's probably looking across the Dead Sea, sees Moab, and says, look, there's green, lush land. We're farmers. Let's go there and live better. Let's leave our ancestral home. Let's leave what God has promised us uh, and go to the place of Moab. And Moab was like a cursed people. And we'll get to that a little bit later. And so they go where they shouldn't go, and he has these two sons. Now, those two sons, they took wives of the women of Moab. One was named Orpah, which means stubborn, and the name of the other, Ruth, means friendliness or friend. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. So the first five verses are pretty tragic. Elimelech takes his whole family out to Moab. Elimelech dies. His two sons die. All that's left are Naomi and her daughters-in-law with no children, no sons. That's a pretty rough place to be in this ancient society because you have nothing. You don't have anyone to work the land. You don't have any way to pay for the land. We're kind of stuck. And so Naomi's here. She doesn't have any more sons for the daughters-in-law. And before we go further, I want to note some interesting things about the book of Ruth because I think this book is so unique. First of all, it's one of two Old Testament books named after women. That is Ruth and Esther. It is one of two books in the entire Bible that's named after a Gentile, which would be Ruth, and in the New Testament, the book of Luke. And it's the only book that's named after someone who is an ancestor of Jesus. So this book is really unique in that in a very patriarchal society, also in a very inclusive or exclusive society, I should say, where they didn't really take kindly to their neighbors, they named a book after a female Gentile and happens to be the descendant or an ancestor of Jesus. And so already this book should be getting our attention and it starts off in complete tragedy. This woman is left completely destitute and the only family she has uh, were family from marriage and that those marriages are over because those sons are dead. And that's where we pick up in, in uh, verse six. So then she arose with her daughters, 
uh, with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So she is like, okay, I've heard that God has returned to Israel and he's giving them food again. The crops are back, thing, good things are happening. Uh, the interesting thing about that is she left Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. Beth lechem. Lechem means bread. Beth house of. It's the house of bread. They left it for what they thought the grass was greener on the other side, and they were left destitute. And so she goes back to Israel. And therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. So Orpah and Naomi are both on their way with her. Uh, went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her, both of her daughters-in-law, Go, return to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kisses them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, Surely we will return with you and your people. So Naomi her daughters-in-law are going with her, and she turns around and she says, look, I have nothing to offer you. You've been so kind to me. Let me be kind to you and tell you, just go back to your parents' houses and find husbands in Moab. Do what's best for you. I have nothing left to offer you because I have nothing. I have no land. I have no sons. I have no husband. I have nothing left. Do yourselves a favor. Go home. But they go, no, we're going to return with you. So Naomi said to them again, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go. I am too old to have a husband. And if I say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, you wouldn't. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now we get to the bottom of it. Naomi blames God for her situation. She feels completely lost. She knows she has nothing. And she says to them, look, you're women, you're young women, but even if I could have a husband tonight and have a child, that child would, by the time it grew up, are you really gonna wait that long to marry someone? I have nothing to give you. Go home. Verse 14, so they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has, has gone back for her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Naomi has really seemed to turn against God. She's blaming God for her situation, and she's even praising Orpah for going back and worshiping her gods, worshiping the god of Moab, which, by the way, uh, is a god named Chemosh. The worship of Chemosh had to do with child sacrifice. So it's really disturbing stuff. And she says, look, do what she does. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. So she even said, when she says the Lord do so to me, if you see it in all capital letters, that's the Y-H-W-H, the Yahweh or the Tetragrammaton, whatever you want to call it. That's the official name of God 
She's invoking the Hebrew name for God. And so Ruth says, no, absolutely not. Your people will be my people. I'm gonna become like you. I'm gonna worship your God. Let God deal with me if anything parts me from you but death. And so when she saw that she was determined to go with her, Naomi sees that Ruth is determined. She stops speaking to her. She accepts Ruth's invitation. This is Ruth showing absolute character and love and integrity. Now the two of them went until they come to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And all the women said, is this Naomi? Now remember, Naomi's name means pleasant. And so everyone's excited and they're like, look, pleasant has arrived. Pleasantness has arrived. But Naomi says to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. And she's bitter. Why? For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And so, first chapter ends with a little note that gives you the timing. So this is likely very shortly after the Passover was practiced, and they're leading up to the Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. This is the time of year that this is happening. Chapter 2. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, uh, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Now, Boaz's name, his name means in him is strength. And Boaz turns out to be a really clear picture of Jesus in this story. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean bread, glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Now listen to this. She goes out to this field. She just happens to be gleaning. Now this is a practice that was left in, we're told about this in the law, that the landowners were not to glean all the way to the corners of their field. They're, they're to reap not all of the harvest and leave some left over for the poor and the widows. So this was God's welfare program, which is awesome because God's welfare program forces you to still work for your food. Like you still have to get up, you still have to have the dignity to go out and get it yourself, right? But it's still taking care of you. You still have to have that integrity. And so she goes out to this field to glean and listen to the language. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Just so happened, right? This is God's providence at work. And we like to look for God's miracles a lot in his stories, but often what's even more miraculous is God's providence, how he's consistently in control in the little things, right? Now for me, it just so happened that the woman I married is not from here, but she was looking for a place to play softball in college and St. John Fisher just happened to be the place that she decided to go. And she ended up not on the team. And that frustration just so happened to lead her to a group of friends uh, on Campus Crusade for Christ. 
which one of those people just so happened to go to the same church I attended. And he just invited her after he graduated. And she came and we met and she couldn't stand me for a long time. I'm sure you get it. But all of those little happenstances, right? Like she happened to come around at just the right time when I seemed finally ready to let go of being single because I was determined to never date. But I just started to let that go and she came around and she just happened to happen. It just happened at the right time. She just happened to be around the right person. She just happened to go to the right college, even though she was from out of state. Those types of things are God's providence at work. Ruth just so happened to catch Boaz working in his field at that exact time. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. So, all right, you're already looking at, Boaz is the landowner. Have you ever had a boss like that? Who, he's the owner. He steps into the fields and says, God bless you, right? This is Boaz. This is his character in action. He's among his workers saying, God bless you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, who's Whose young woman is this? Looking at Ruth. So what's really happening is Boaz is a man and Ruth is pretty. And so Boaz is like, who's that? I see something I like. And so Boaz said to his servant, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So she was working hard. So then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young women. So he's saying, stay close to my servants, my handmaidens. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Uh, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So Boaz sees her, he winks, and he says, listen, you, you don't have to go anywhere else. Just glean, glean produce from here. You can stay here. I'll take care of you. Um, Because he likes her, all right? That's what's happening. And he happens to just be a very kind man. He even made sure he ordered all of his workers to say, don't touch her. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? This we'll talk about at the end. But typically the the Jewish people would look down on the Moabites and we'll get to that later. And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law. Since the death of your husband and how the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given, uh, given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now, this is beautiful because Boaz doesn't act the way she expected. Instead, he welcomes her with open arms and he even says, may the Lord repay you a full reward And he even says, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. So he's saying she's protected by God because of 
her treatment of Naomi because of the love in her heart and the kindness and the work she's putting forward to take care of her mother-in-law. And Boaz takes notice of this. So what is he really interested in? He didn't just notice her because of how she looks. When he heard who she was, when he heard the stories and the kindness in Ruth, he found that very attractive. I think that's something to note. How we treat each other happens to also be an attractive quality or not. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now, Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and, and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat before the reapers uh, and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Now, this is my own little conjecture, but kind of interesting here. Boaz has Ruth sit with him. Boaz, who happens, turns out to be kind of a picture of Christ pretty strongly as you read this book, has Ruth sit with him and dip bread in wine. All right? I hope, the picture, hope you're seeing what I'm seeing here. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it so that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So now he's not only saying save extra for her, he's saying with the good stuff that you pick, drop some for her. Make it really easy. Let's take good care of her. Boaz is showing a lot of love and compassion. So she gleaned in the field until evening and, and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of, of barley. So this little note here says that's about 30 to 40 pounds. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, so she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back and had been satisfied. Now her mother-in-law said to her, where, where have you gleaned today and, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name whom with I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is a relation of ours and one of our close relatives. She's telling her, there's a practice you don't know about. This is very exciting. This man is a goel. That's the Hebrew. A goel means kinsman redeemer. So what this means is the custom was when a woman was widowed, the next of kin brother typically would marry her to give her a child. So that was typical or the closest relative. Boaz happens to be a close relative of Elimelech. So Boaz can fulfill that Goel, that kinsman redeemer position. It also requires the purchasing of any land that was left over to take care of the widow. So Naomi's excited. She says, oh, wow, he is our Goel. He is our kinsman redeemer. He also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished in all my harvest. And Naomi said to her, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go into this young in with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the barley harvest and wheat harvest and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. And so the peak of the harvest means you're getting close to Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, chapter three. Naomi 
her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, this is amazing because this is her daughter-in-law. She was married to her son. Um, now, Naomi's lost a lot, but she's not harboring any jealousy. She's not harboring any, any hatred or any ill will. Um, and she's not even comparing Boaz against her son. Instead, she's looking out for the well-being of Ruth. She cares about Ruth because, probably because of how Ruth has treated her. And she says, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Is he not our Goel? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And I'll tell you what you should do. Naomi is, she's teaching Ruth how to deal with Boaz and his customs. She's saying, this, I'm going to take care of you. This is what you do. Go down there, wait till he's done eating, drinking, working, and then go lay at his feet. And then she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. After Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was cheerful and he went down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself there and a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? Right, it's middle of the night and something's touching his feet. I'd be freaked out too. And he says, who are you? She says, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. So now she's telling Boaz what's happening. She says, hey, I'm Ruth. I'm a close relative. Wink, wink. You know what this means. Nudge, nudge. Marry me. Take me under your wing. And she's proposing to him to be the kinsman redeemer. So he says, Blessed are you, O Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. You did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it's true that I am a close relative. However, dun, 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 issue, problem. There's a relative closer than I. He says, stay the night. In the morning, it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't want to perform the duty for you, then I will. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. So she's proposing marriage. She goes under the hem of his garment at his feet. Why? Well, in our times, if you think of like our military garb or even like pilot's coats, we have those like bars or the little notations on the chest that show rank. The symbol of authority was on the hem of the garment in, in ancient biblical times. So what she's doing is placing herself under his authority by going under the hem of his garment at his feet. And she's saying, 
marry me. You found, you've treated me well. I'm coming to you. And this is, she's following Naomi's direction. But there's a problem. And the problem is a closer relative. Now, he also says, don't let anybody think badly of you. Nothing immoral happened. Don't let anybody talk. So make sure nobody sees you. Go, go to your mother, here's some bread. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. And he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, still my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out for the man, uh, the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. How does Naomi know this? How does she know that he won't rest until this is taken care of? Well, interestingly, there's a clue that we often don't pick up on. Boaz gave Ruth six ephahs of barley. That could elude to the idea that he won't rest because the number of rest is seven. And so Naomi picks up on this and she says, what he's doing is he's through custom is telling me he's gonna take care of this today. So she's excited. Now Boaz, chapter four, went up to the gate and sat, went up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took the 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So Boaz is really taking command. And he's going, hey, got some business to take care of. Everybody come here. And he's a respected, wealthy guy. So people are listening to what he says. So he said uh, to the close relative, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, sold uh, the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, uh, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So Boaz is basically like, hey, I have some business to take care of. Relative, come here. If you didn't hear, Naomi's back. And she has land that needs to be redeemed. You're the next in line. After you is me. So please tell me, will you redeem the land? Will you buy it to take care of our sister Naomi on behalf of Elimelech? And the guy says, sure, I'll do it. I'll add land to my wealth. Why not? Like Boaz is real slick here. And uh, then Boaz said, oh, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I can't do it. I can't redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. What's going on here? This guy, this closer relative, he's very happy to redeem the land. Doesn't mind buying it. Doesn't mind adding to his own wealth doesn't mind adding to his own land, helping Naomi out. But then he hears about Ruth, and Boaz real slickly says, what about Ruth the Moabitess? When you, t- when you redeem the land, you also have to marry her. And uh, you know, I can't, can't do that. Can't do that. Now, here's the interesting piece of this, right? As this was happening, the land, the deed of the land was always a scroll 
a scroll that was sealed with wax seals on the outside. And there would be writing on the inside of the deed and also often on the outside of the deed that would explain what you had to do in order to redeem the land. So if someone, for this practice in particular, when the land came up for sale and someone was able to redeem it, you had to be a relative. Both of these guys fit that description. You had to be willing, only one of them seems to be willing to do it, and you had to be able. You had to be able to fulfill the requirements of the deed. And so apparently this guy cannot do it. Get to why in a little bit. Now this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought all that was Elimelech's, all that was Kilion's, and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from his position at the gate. You are witnessing this day. And all of the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And the Lord made the woman, uh, the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Now this is a bit of a dig. It all sounds really nice up to this point. Blessed are you. May you be like Rachel and Leah and expand. Will you be happy in Bethlehem? Um, May your house be like the house of Perez. This is a little mean. Why? Well, it turns out there's something really interesting. And uh, we're going to go through a little bit of that. So, who is Perez? Perez is the son of Judah. Judah has an illegitimate child named Perez in chapter 38 of Genesis. And we went through Genesis. We skipped chapter 38 because it wasn't part of Joseph's narrative as we were finishing that up. This is sort of an oddball chapter. In Joseph's narrative, suddenly a chapter comes out about Judah and Tamar. Tamar pretends to be a prostitute and lures Judah in and then gets pregnant from Judah and Perez is his illegitimate child. And so in Deuteronomy, we actually see what happens to illegitimate children. It says, one of the illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So what, is, what are they saying? They're saying, look, you're marrying a Moabitess. You're marrying a foreigner. You're not keeping to the law. So may you be like the house of Perez. May you be cursed for 10 generations is basically what's happening here. Now, what seems like a slight, we're gonna see in a second what really happens from that, okay? So keep, keep this in mind. Keep that Perez, 10 generations, all that in mind, okay? So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. 
And may his name be famous in Israel. And may, be, may he be to you a restorer of life. Well, okay, first of all, we're talking about Boaz being like a, a type of Christ, restorer of life, right? Okay, that's, you should see that. And a nourisher of your, of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So, the son of Boaz and Ruth, as they're telling them, May your house be like the house of Perez, cursed for ten generations. Uh, the son of Ruth and Boaz happens to be Obed, the grandfather of King David whose line the Messiah must come through. And so let's take a look at that idea of 10 generations as we close the book. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. Who's David? Number 10 from the house of Perez. That is astonishing. Now there's something else that's a little bit more interesting about chapter 38. Not only was David the 10th generation from Perez, the illegitimate child, so they don't really know what they're saying, but chapter 38 also has a little interesting nugget that I think you should know. Now, when we were studying in the Torah, we talked about this weird thing that happens in the Torah in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, when you come to the first Tav in Genesis and the same thing in Exodus, and then you skip 49 letters, the next letter is the equivalent to the English O, and then 49 letters, and the next letter is the equivalent of the English R, and then Torah is spelled out in Genesis and Exodus at every 49 letters. And then the same phenomenon happens backwards in Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then in Leviticus, every seven letters, you get this weird thing where it goes Y-H-W-H, and it spells the name of God in Leviticus in the Hebrew. Well, chapter 38 in Genesis also has one of these little interesting peculiarities. Chapter 38 happens to be about Judah and Tamar. And in this story, in this chapter of Genesis, in this story of Judah and Tamar, in the Hebrew there happens to be another weird little 49-letter code that goes on in this chapter. And what happens is you get these names spelled out in 49-letter interval, intervals and in this order. Boaz, Ruth, Obed, Jesse, David. So hidden within the context of this weird story is the genealogy that leads to David, that all because of Boaz and Ruth, and this story leads to David through the line that the Messiah comes from. Very interesting. So, yeah, their house ended up being like the house of Perez, and they came from Judah, the place that the scepter will not leave, according to Genesis chapter 49. So a lot of prophecy gets fulfilled there. And that's not the only thing interesting about this book. Now, we sort of talked through this whole thing without me mentioning some interesting points. So here are some things you should notice about this book. 
if you take a look at Naomi, she is an Israelite. And because of her husband, she was exiled out of Israel into the land of Moab. And then she came back with Ruth. So Naomi had a bit of an exile. That could be very much prophetic or um, parallel to what happens to the Israelite people. Now, here's the other, another interesting thing. Boaz goes and meets with this relative. Now, what's the deal? Why can't he redeem Ruth? Why is he willing to redeem the land but not Ruth? Because Ruth is a foreigner. Ruth is a Moabite. It was illegal, according to the law, to marry a Moabite. So this guy can't do it, or it would, that curse would fall on him. And he wouldn't want to ruin his own inheritance for his lineage. So this guy represents the law. Boaz represents grace. Why is Boaz able to redeem Ruth where this guy could not? Because Boaz's mother was Rahab of Jericho, a Gentile. So Boaz, Boaz, half of his lineage was not Jewish, so he's able to take Ruth in without the curse. Also, this whole idea of replacement theology, where the church takes place, takes the place of the new Israel, if you read this book this way, you understand that Ruth does not replace Naomi. They have two separate destinations. Naomi is a type of Israel. Ruth is a Gentile. She represents the church. Boaz is a Gentile bride. If Boaz is a type of Christ, Ruth is the Gentile bride, and Naomi is Israel. You see, Ruth learns about Boaz and his ways through Naomi. Because of the Israeli Old Testament scriptures, we can see how Jesus is the fulfillment. We learn, the church has learned about God's ways through Israel. But Naomi meets Boaz through Ruth. So the church, its practice is to preach, including to the Jew to the Israeli. Now, Boaz, he happened to show love and mercy to Ruth. He's the redeemer, but he had to wait for Ruth to take action. And so there's a principle in that for us, right? Jesus, he can show you all kinds of love and compassion, and he did that on the cross, but it's still up to you to have a response. Ruth had to make the response. She had to go to him and come under his authority for him to accept the wedding proposal. Now, Boaz, interestingly, talking about that whole law versus grace thing, Boaz is the one who confronts the law. He confronts the other relative. So once Ruth was willing to come under his authority, then, he, then Boaz becomes the one who steps in front of the law on her behalf. And she's made whole and redeemed by Boaz because he can confront the law and can take her under his authority in the place where the law can't. Grace can do what the law cannot do. And like I said, Ruth is the Gentile bride. She represents the church. And so you should see this amazing picture. But what else is left? I told you some stuff that is pretty astonishing about the beginning. Genesis 38 and the story of Judah and Tamar and the way that it, it holds within it in the context of the text, it actually holds the genealogy of Boaz, Ruth, Obed, Jesse, and David. And even the 10th generation, the 10th from Perez was David. But what about the end? 
What does this story teach us about the end? The redemption was due to the title deed. The requirements that needed to be fulfilled on the title deed, Boaz was able to perform. He was a relative, he was willing, and he was able to marry a foreigner because his mother was Rahab. In Revelation chapter 5, you see the scroll. John is in heaven, he's looking at the scroll, and he sees it sealed with seven seals, and he weeps because there's no one who is capable of performing the task of redemption. There's no one who's capable of opening the scroll because there's no one who's related, willing, and able until Jesus shows up and starts opening the scroll. So Jesus is the fulfillment. This is the title deed to the earth in Revelation chapter 5. And you get a picture of it here in the book of Ruth. And because Jesus, because God became flesh and took on human form, he is related. So the first Adam who caused sin was taken care of by the last Adam who redeemed us from sin because God is related because he took on flesh. It had to be that way. He is willing. Jesus said, no one can take my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And he's the only one in humanity who was ever able to perform the redemption and to take the scroll because he was the spotless, sinless lamb. The son of man, willing and able, he's able to take the scroll. He is able to redeem. And so our understanding of the book of Revelation becomes much clearer with what's going on with the scroll and the seals that open when we understand the book of Ruth. Because the book of Ruth unlocks the beginning from the end. And it happens to be an Old Testament book named after a Gentile female ancestor of our Savior. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the insight it gives us to help us understand the rest of your story, to make clear what redemption is and the love you have for us. And thank you for being ready, willing, and able, and for being related, for taking on flesh to be the sacrifice to redeem us. God, we look forward to when that goes down, when that scroll is opened and the horrors that are unleashed ends in ultimate redemption in the restoration of earth. God, we thank you that your story is a tapestry connected and the beginning is connected to the end. The old is connected to the new and they explain each other and help us understand your grand story. God, help us love you even more when we grasp this. In Jesus' name. Amen.